Welcome to the Reticle Up Podcast, where I, Three Gun Kenzie, will be interviewing competitive shooters, hunters, fishermen, archers, entrepreneurs, and outdoorsmen. Come learn with me as I interview people from all walks of life, in different disciplines, all across the world, from novices to professionals of all ages. No matter what, everyone has something they can teach you. So come join me on the journey. Welcome back, everyone, to Radical Up Podcast. I'm excited. I'm here with my buddy, Brady Harden. Uh, so he's a master in single stack, and he's a little bit open curious, which we're going to get into tonight, uh, but he primarily shoots USPSA, and um, I'm excited to have you on, bud. Well, thank you for having me. I'm very happy to be here. Absolutely. Um, Brady and I have road tripped. We have learned that experience. Um, <laughs> he has seen me in my first and my best. <laughs> There's no other way to put it, really. Um, so we're going to kick this strong. So um, road trip up to Area 5. This is a very important discussion Brady and I had. So we've got to talk about, Brady, uh, which is better, uh, airheads or gummy, wor- gummy bears? And why are airheads the superior candy? So, well, the reason why all of these gummy bears are the superior candy or the superior gummy, I should say, it's because they are heavenly. They are of the Lord. I feel like gummy bears, or this brand of gummy bears specifically, is like the Chick-fil-A of gummy bears. It is the best. It is superior. It is God's gummy bear. How long have they been around? Do you even know? I have no idea. Um, I first learned about them, actually, my buddy uh, Dave Horn, um, one of his sponsors, Shooter Source, they actually mail out a small bag of gummy bears in every package that you buy. So I told Dave, like I bought something a while back from him. And um, I was like, Dave, these are my favorite people ever. They're the best. (laughs) Are they the best or are they the source of why you have an addiction to gummy bears now? Mm. Well, I've always had an addiction to like gummy type candy, candy gummy bears specifically, but yes, they heighten the addiction. Um, So like a lot of people probably have heard um, like from a defensive mindset, uh, some of, um, I can't remember his name now, uh, but he talked about the uh, great white bag concept where people were basically waiting on people to come out of the Apple store because they had expensive items and were going to uh, rob them. Well, my great white, big white bag concept is a great big white bag of Albany's gummy bears, like the five pound bag. So, we need to get, if somebody knows somebody at that company or can introduce them, you know, sponsor this dude. So, uh, yeah, I was really, for it. I feel like everyone listening to you probably has had that like moment where they stopped at a gas station going to a match and they've had their guilty pleasure and they don't share what that is. Like there, there's some people out there, grown humans eating sugar the whole way. You know what I mean? We admit it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, sugar is great. It's fine. <laughs> you know, it's not too much. I <laughs> love it. All right. So uh, to dig down in shooting, I actually wanted to start out like uh, you start out in single stack for USPSA, right? Or did you start out in a completely different division first? So I actually started out in limited, gotcha. shooting limited minor. Um, I had a Glock 34 that I'd been shooting at IDPA at the time. And I started shooting USPSA later on that year. I think it was 2016, I think. Um it's funny. My uh my very first sanctioned USPSA match, uh, I shot a limited minor with that 34 and it was area six the last year that it was at uh in Covington. 
mm. over here. So that was 2017, I think. Okay. So yeah, I uh, I embarrassed myself there, and that's where I definitely learned how huge the mental aspect is in shooting. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, on that gun, like, was it mostly stock, or did you even have a magwell on it, or you just run what you got? <laughs> yeah, I was just kind of going with it. It was it was more like a production gun with uh, nicer trigger. Well, it's nicer triggers you can put in a clock because you know you still want reliability. Um, and then just aftermarket sights and some extended base pads on it to give me more BBs in the gun. So, <laughs> yeah, but it got you started. That, that's the cool part. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Did you know anybody like when you showed up to your first match or was this you just going on your own? <laughs> well, um, how I actually found out about competitive shooting is I was, I think I was like 14 and the, uh, a few guys that I went to church with had went and shot an IDPA match and one of them being my youth director um, at the time, Rusty. And he came and he showed me some of these videos. We were hanging out at somebody's house one evening at church. And I was like, whoa, this stuff is so cool. It's like, mom, dad, can I do this? They're like, no. And I, I can understand that, you know, a 14 year old to ask that. Uh, <laughs> but, um, I remembered it all through, and then whenever I turned 19, Alabama dropped their concealed carry permit age down to 18. So naturally, I went and got my concealed carry permit and bought a gun, about my parents' knowledge. Uh, (laughs) And uh, I probably a year or so rolled around, and my dad told me, like, well, if you're going to carry a gun, then you need to take and shoot at least once a month. And I remembered those IDPA matches. And I said, well, that would be a really good thing to go do to really help me practice for it. And it's funny. Now I went to my first IDPA match the first Saturday in March in 2016. And I was 20 years old. And this is back when IDPA still had the half second scoring. The new rules hadn't come out yet. Like they did in 17. Um, I dropped, it was over 200 points down um, at that match. I didn't finish dead last, but my final score for that match was like 430 or something seconds. It was so bad because I was I was literally that guy that had no idea what the sites were mm-hmm. and how to use them or anything else. <laughs> so <laughs> it, I was uh I was definitely very bottom of the barrel when I started. <laughs> it's interesting though. Like even when I started, I was towards the bottom, but I was at last. And I'm like, if I know nothing and I just showed up, I'm like, how bad are these? Uh, other <laughs> yeah. Right. Cause like I was still shot that bad and looking back on it now, it's like, wow, I came in not knowing anything about anything, mm-hmm. barely even how to breathe. And I still didn't finish last. So I, I was like, Okay, I'm, I'm all right with this. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so when, like, after, was it IDPA or USPSA when you started, like, dabbling in the single stack world? Or what made you switch to that? So I w- had been in USPSA for a little bit. It was actually that same year that I went and embarrassed myself at Area 6. <laughs> um, so later on in May 2017, or no, in April, I bought a single stack gun. And I've been wanting one for a little while because I thought they were so cool and they're fancy and all that. But I was like, well, I really want to buy something that's kind of 
lower end of the dollar amount and all because I don't know anything about them. I'm probably going to break stuff. I want to kind of figure out what I like, what I don't like. But I want it to look cool. (laughs) 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 Well, the cool factor is the most important factor when you're buying a gun, right? I guess so. Yeah. I mean, I have to have everything custom and colored, so I get it. (laughs) Because, I mean, if that was the case, you know, we would all be rocking high points, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Nope. Still no. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, but anyway I um, ended up a buddy of mine was working for uh, Frank Proctor at the time and I went by his shop and was going to pick up something because I forgot it the day before and um, Frank had been messing around with a range officer operator Springfield okay. um, and I, I've been talking to Keegan about the uh, about 1911s and he Frank just so happened to have his hanging up there in the shop and he handed it to me I started messing with it and I loved it. I was like, all right, this is the one out of all the ones I've looked at. This is the one I want. So I bought one and throughout the rest of that year into 20, well, yeah, through the end of 2017, I broke everything in it except for the hammer, the hammer strut and the sear. (laughs) Holy cow. From a lot of rounds. Just use. I, it it was funny because if you took that gun apart, you could just see how you could tell how much I've shot it and dry fired it just by looking at the back of the trigger bow because you could see all the wear from the disconnector hitting the back. Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, that gun had a true battle worn finish on it just from the, all the holster wear and all the dry fire from it and everything else. Cool. It was it had a lot of character. <laughs> Love it. And I don't, I don't know much about that gun in terms of like, is it minor power factor for that one? Yes. This one's a nine millimeter. It's uh, it's, it's very flat. It's very soft. Okay. So then like for people that don't know, like shooting single stack, you know, you can shoot the 10 rounds minor or eight rounds major power factor. Um, and like, when you think about, you know, shooting a major power factor with the recoil of a 40 or 45 versus yeah, nine mil with a couple extra rounds, but less points, do you think that someone can still be competitive, you know, shooting minor and it's almost can be advantageous to shoot minor over major? It's very stage dependent and match dependent. Okay. So in most matches that I've, cause I've been experimenting with it for the last few years and I found that I can actually show up to most matches and shoot major and probably put a better performance with it. Even it doesn't matter which match you go to. You'll have a couple stages in there that are bad for an eight round gun, but you just have to come up with a plan to kind of get around it. Cause if you have to do, if you have to do a standing load somewhere, Lord forbid, um, you just got to do a standing load, but do it quick, <laughs> you know, uh, don't be a wimp about it. Right. Um, but I will say in that comparison, there has been one match that I've shot a sanctioned match that I wish I would shot minor. And everything else, I would still go back to this day and do major. Okay. Okay. So <laughs> that's really funny though. Um, thinking about like <laughs> thinking about single stock like division rules and stuff. So um, like the weight of the firearms like can be on the heavier side, correct? Yes. So and that was one of the recent rule changes they came out with whenever they um allow flashlights and everything else, which which were handy recently. Um so we went from a 43-ounce weight limit up to a 45, so not much of a change, really. And then we got magnets. We got magnets, and we can have our mag pouches or our 
holsters in front of our hip bones now. So, I mean, you need 12 single stacks. So it's kind of a great yes. for y'all. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> we, uh, it was funny actually, a buddy of mine and I, we were, uh, we were at a match one time and somebody had about that many magazines on their belt and they were like, Oh man, if you need that many. <laughs> not good. Not a good day. <laughs> Oh no, absolutely not. Which it was a it was a tough match too. I think it may have been out all match. Um but uh yeah, I have I haven't even changed my belt. I don't even have a magnet on my belt right now for single stack. Um I've just left running a magnet, so it's not like a huge difference for you. Yeah. Right, because there's only been very few instances where I've actually needed one. And there's been one or two stages that I've shot, whether it be a club match or sanctioned match before, where it's unloaded table start. And if I have to do more than one reload, then I'm going to have to just stow two magazines anyways. Yeah. Um, but there's been a few times where I could get by with just taking one. So primarily what I would do is I would just take, I would pick the gun up, load it, and pick up the other magazine and hold it in between my fingers and just shoot. And then whenever I needed to reload, just Reload. God. <laughs> <laughs> skills, brainy skills. <laughs> eh, it's not so much. Game, so, uh, maybe. Well, so you went from like Magwell, if you had it on the 34, not at least a bigger double stack uh, gun to this small, itty bitty reloading uh, mag- Magwell. So how did that go? Like how, how many times did you have to practice reloading to get reloading down? Uh, well, I've, I'm still getting reloading down. So I have, some of my guns in front of me here so you can see i miss the magla a lot because i push speed to try and get better at it um, uh, but it was an adjustment because i didn't have a magla or anything on that 34 at the time but i've been like even earlier on before i knew what dry fire was or anything like that or how to use sights like i said <laughs> um <laughs> I, uh i would I figured out that there was absolutely no excuse and no reason why I couldn't manipulate the gun just as fast as anyone else could. So that being draws reloads at the time, because I didn't really think, think or know about transitions or anything else. Um, so reload practice there helped with a wide body gun, if you will, or a double stack gun. Um, but then going to single stack, even with a magwell, it was challenging. But I learned really quickly that a magwell's a must. Because yeah. um, I put a, uh, a Smith & Alexander on magwell on my gun to start with. And I, it was fine at the time. But the problem that I had was my gun was a tad bit on the heavy side. Um, like uh, maybe a half ounce overweight. <laughs> Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> so uh, I I ended up taking it before I discovered Techwell. I uh, took it to Keegan and we put it on a little bit of a diet and opened up the grip panel some to where it just <laughs> barely made weight. <laughs> oh, no. huh. Yeah, but uh, since since I've discovered Techwell though, um, I, it's a must for me. Oh. I know everybody shoots single stacks, kind of got preferences on magwells and grips and all that stuff but tech is definitely the way for me it's kind of cool yeah single stack there's a lot more i feel like that you can change to help like so many people shoot differently so having wooden grips having aggressive grips rubber grips like there's so much you can do to a a 1911 i feel like absolutely absolutely there is really fun um so when you switch over single stack 
like what was the first class vacation that you made? <laughs> um, I don't remember actually, but I'm pretty confident I was like, because like I said, I come into it at the end of that year when I didn't know how to use sites. Um, probably my first limited classifiers were like C, but by the time that I'd got into single stack, there were probably along the B line. Okay. Um, so yeah, B line, pretty low still. Yeah, B line. <laughs> Uh, like, so when you were moving on up in classification stuff, like how long did it take you to reach that master class? And was it where you were ex- expecting, you know, on the timeline? Well, so I never really set an expectation for, I want to make this classifier. Well, I mean, obviously, you know, yeah. Um, or, yeah. This classification. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm from Alabama. It's okay. Um, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> You heard it from an uh, Alabamian. Thank you. I've been saying that for years. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> Real time. Um, oh. So, <laughs> uh, it kills you inside. I know. That out. No, Florida, uh, uh, Florida State. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so I, um, my original idea and my goal set was centered around one thing that I, I heard um, from Pat Mac actually and i'm gonna make it a g-rated version um basically he said if you cloned yourself today could you kick your clones butt tomorrow meaning you know what are you doing today to get better and make yourself better than you are today um for tomorrow so i've always had that mindset in it and thought that okay if i'm doing something to work on some weakness that i have or develop myself better then there's no reason why i'm not going to progress and I didn't really set a limit or an expectation on it at the time. And looking back, I probably should have, but then again, just taking and working mindlessly toward it, I guess it may have kind of helped get me there. But um, to circle back around to your question now. <laughs> uh, um, so at the end of uh, 2018, um, I took a class with Elias Frangoulis and I love him. He is a super awesome dude. He has got a really good character about him. Awesome instructor. Um, I need to call him and talk to him more than I do. Um, but uh, I took class with him for two days, and he opened my eyes to everything, just all of the fine detailed stuff that I was missing. And he pointed out just all the small little things that I could do to be better in it. Um and it just, it was a huge game changer. And I took and I worked because that was literally at the end of December because we took the class. Um, I think we finished the class on New Year's New Year's Eve or the day before New Year's Eve. Yeah. Um, so I just kept practicing and kept going along with those things that we learned in that class. And first match that rolled around of the year was March um, in the Alabama sectional. Mm-hmm. and. Um, thankfully Paul Kerr and Randy Arrowwood didn't show up that year. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I ended up, I won single stack at it. I beat a few A class people and some other B class people. Um, but I was still a B at the time. Um, but from then on is whenever I started to just see my skyrocket to master show up because I don't know what it was. It, it had to just be practicing all those things that Elias taught me. Um, and showed me those deficiencies but 
master came very quickly after that. That's awesome. Um, that's interesting. You didn't really set goals to do that, by the way. Like, who does that? Okay. <laughs> uh, I, I do now, but I still leave them kind of loose in a sense, I guess, in that I have clear defined goals, but I don't kind of like positive affirmations, I guess. You don't want to, you know, say something that could be here or there. You want a definite sort of thing. Yeah. Did you like match bump up when you were changing classifications or just hitting those classifiers and matches? I ended up just hitting the classifiers and matches because I literally went from shooting B class and sometimes a decent A class runs to just turning in master runs. That's cool. And it was, yeah, it was, it was really amazing to see. Um, Cause I remember like listening to like Steve Anderson and some other people talk about, um, you know, if you take and work on this, this, that, and all and really worked hard at it and put the time and effort into it, you're going to see the improvement in just a very short amount of time. And it was, it was really cool to see that. So when did you spend the money on your new pistol? <laughs> so um, for the listeners that don't know, um, I have had a crush on a Nighthawk single stack for a long time. I didn't have a particular one uh in mine or lined up but um at the time in uh i was going to go shoot the florida open one year in february around valentine's day and i was going to go shoot my range officer um i didn't even own a major gun yet and i had broken an ejector in it (laughs) and i actually had been shooting it broken for several months and it ran until it died at a uh, classifier match in like January. That's why if anyone looks up my classification, why I still have like a 39% classification in L10 because gun did not run. <laughs> um, but I ended up uh, around that time frame. I got to put about 2000 rounds through a night hall. Um, just kind of practicing with one, getting the feel for one. And then whenever I, I got my gun back up and going again, going back to my range officer, it was so hard to transition back like it was literally showed me the difference between a normal standard production gun and a full-on custom hand-built gun yep and um since then on i've really had the desire to have one um and the thing for me i knew i knew nighthawk was a big company and or had kind of learned from it from matt sims um very dear friend and my training partner um and i knew from him that he had shot him a lot and he had a lot of faith in him um as far as just craftsmanship and reliability and everything along those lines but the thing to me that's a selling point about nighthawk that separates them from other gun manufacturers is their morals um so if you ever look them up on their website they openly claim that they are a christian run and a christian founded company and that's the big thing to me because I've grown up, I've been raised Christian all my life. Um, yeah. Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, and I'm very thankful for that. Um, still don't fathom, you know, sending the sun down across for me. Yeah. Um, but uh, that was the change point for me that sold me on them then. Because right. I've never heard of any other company that does that, mm-hmm. uh, gun manufacturing wise. Um, so they definitely are going to have my business. It's cool. So Chick-fil-A, Gummy Bear, <laughs> and Nighthawk. 
Yeah, absolutely. You, you see a trend here, right? Oh, I know you very well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm very simple, Ginger. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> oh, man. Like looking at that gun now, um, did you have to change anything about it? Or when you bought the custom gun, like it was, oh, go time. So it, um, I have this one here too, because I was dry firing with it a while ago. Um, so this one, it was a Cerakote gun. I actually found this in a gun shop, um, Birmingham Pistol Wholesale. Um, they're off of Deerfoot Parkway in Birmingham. And I walked in and it was a used gun that was just dirt cheap. Um, so I looked at it and was kind of thinking about it. And Matt and I were talking about it because we walked in there together looking for something else. And um, we kind of talked about it on the way home. And I mulled it over over the weekend while I text one of my buddies that works there. I was like, hey, I'm going to come by Monday. I'm going to look at that thing again. Yeah. As soon as I got off work Monday, I go down there, I look at it. I'm like, yep, that's mine. Cool. Um, but uh, originally it had a really nice set of VZ grips on it. Um, and it had one of their, um, had the hiding rear side on it and it had the gold bead front side. Um, if anybody's never messed with those, those are pretty cool. Um, but it had a different trigger bow in it. But really that's all I've changed is sights, the, uh, trigger bow and the grips and the magwell because it had their little carry magwell on it too um and i just changed it out to what i was already familiar with yeah um, that's it's more comfortable that with. everyone should really change out when they get a gun is those those things like not internal stuff but yeah well oh yeah that's awesome <laughs> yeah. so it's uh yeah oh go ahead i don't know i was done i was done <laughs> i was gonna say so you have another one another gun or just that one so I have a second major gun. Um, it's it's actually my carry gun. At the time. I'm sorry, I'm unloading it. Um, nope, you know, yep. What's what's the what's the point in having a uh, bunch of guns laying around if you don't have one that's loaded? Um, so this is actually my first major gun that I bought. It's a uh, Springfield TRP. Um, so after I won Alabama sectional that year, I won a slot to go shoot single stack nationals, um, and I knew from then on because I'd heard. Dave Savigny, Rob Latham, all the big single stack guys talk, you know, you don't show up to single stack nationals and shoot minor because you're not going to accomplish a whole lot, um, which is right in a sense. But I know a few guys that have done extremely well with a minor gun. We all know this. Um, uh, Jalise Williams in limited minor. Holy crap. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, you look at um, – buddy paul kerr and john Leager. oh yeah i mean man they're they're ridiculous too, but yes probably gonna win a gun in two weeks at the charity match when he plays his first so you know it's already given away <laughs> i know that's because i went that's the first time i shot that match last year and i'm looking forward to going and doing it again but uh yeah that's what paul and i talk about we're hoping that it's sunshine and it's not cold because both of us, we can't handle either one. <laughs> together. Oh, I know. So Brady, um, you're so lucky that I'm not a girly girl. Cause we went to area five together and Brady's like shivering. I'm like, uh, dude, I have a jacket. And he just kind of looks at me. He's like, no, I'm good. And I'm like, no, I have a jacket. <laughs> Puts it on. You know, it's not very feminine though. So you're welcome. Cause I could have handed you like a pink hoodie, but I'm not that kind of girl. <laughs> I, just, I remember walking around. Hey Brady, how's that jacket? <laughs> Oh, believe me, I don't care what kind of jacket it is. It could have been just like this absolutely 
<laughs> bright screaming color that had all this sparkly stuff on it or whatever else. I, mean, I would have worn it. You're giving me ideas. Like I'm going to go to Goodwill and you're going to be screwed. <laughs> oh, if I, as long as there is something warm that I can put on, I will wear it. I don't care what it is. I remember that. I remember <laughs> that. It's going in the truck. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, anyways, um, so yeah, I bought this, uh, TRP and shot it, um, over the last couple of years till I found this Nighthawk earlier this year. And, uh, I've been, I've done a lot with this gun too. It's starting to, uh, get to be the same wear on it. Like what my range officer is. I, I really like that. Um, adds a lot of character. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, I, um, I've basically kind of just got it tuned and set up like all my other ones are. Um, everything's pretty much similar. The only thing you can tell if you pick up any of the three of them, uh, there's small, just kind of physical appearance differences in all three. But if you pick all of them up and actually start shooting them, um, they're all the same, except for the minor gun, obviously. <laughs> yeah. So like rounding out single stack, um, did you have a goal or do you have a goal to finish out GM or how far are you away from GM? I am at 92%, I believe. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely want to make GM. Um, but the thing that I'm more am goal oriented toward is I want to shoot my classification percentage at nationals. Um, this, this year, um, as close as I've got to it so far. So I've only shot, three single stack nationals so far this year i finished 85 86 87% somewhere in there i think um so i shot the m classification not my exact one but i was very close to it so i'm if i've taken uh if i get gm i want to be able to shoot the classification percentage at nationals too yeah. so yeah yeah totally 100 totally get that um so then you've been open curious as well. And um, I'm going to call you a dumbass because you decided maybe not, <laughs> to here, but you go and shoot open nationals for your very first major. I don't even know how long you can tell the audience, whatever, a month into this gun, one other match that was a local and like, you just like show up and say, I'm going to shoot nationals. Yeah. <laughs> so I, um, this, this thing actually started last year. Um, so me and Mike Wong and, uh, Chase Lane, Cameron Tanner and Ethan Howell, we all, um, we all decided we were going to go down and shoot race gun national last year at Frostproof. And I was planning on going to do it at the time, but then they all decided they were going to go too, because it was open limited. Yeah. Well, my plan then was, okay, I want to go shoot limited. It's the closest thing, single stack. It's just got more bullets in it. Um, <laughs> So yeah, yeah, absolutely. Reload less. Um, still major though. <laughs> um, so I like, all right, I'm going to give uh, my buddy Keegan some money and tell him, Hey, build me this limited gun. Um, make it, you know, you know, the things that I like, you fixed all my stuff that I've broken before. <laughs> um, make me something that works and is reliable um, and shoots really well. Well, that plan fell through and we're getting kind of close to nationals and I'm still kind of dabbling around with single stack stuff. And I kind of had been talking back and forth with my buddy Donnie about open and he had, um, 
he has a really cool shorty open gun and iron major. Um, and I ended up talking to him and borrowed that gun. <laughs> so I practiced with it for all of like three weeks. I think I shot two club matches with it. Um, and hopped on down to Frostproof and went and shot nationals and uh, embarrassed myself, I guess, so to say. But um, then fast forward to this year and coming back from Area 5, um, Cameron had uh, dropped in a group chat, said, hey, does anybody need this open gun? And he just put pictures of it in there. Um, I was like, hey, what? Uh, who's got this? Like, What do they want for it? And it's literally just an old school plain Jane open gun. It's really, it's old. Like it was built like, I think like, oh, nine, maybe. So it's, it's got a little, yeah. Yeah. It's a boomer like me. Um, yeah. <laughs> People out there be like, oh, who are you calling old, bud? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, that's, that's kind of my running joke, I guess, because people have looked at me before being at matches and they're like, Oh, you're a junior shooter too. Well, here, look at it like my my son. He's like fourteen too. I'm like, no, no, ma'am. I'm like I'm twenty six. <laughs> um, yep. So yeah. Um, but uh, it's a very plain Jane open gun. It's flat top, tri top. Just got some standard front and rear cocking serrations cut in it, like you would find on any of my 1911s. Yeah. Um, and it's a polymer grip gun and it has a delta point on it, but it came with a nine major and a 38 super comp barrel okay. in it that was already fit. Um, and I ended up, I went and I stopped by the guy's house cause he's in Chattanooga um, on the way home from area five. And I loved it. So I bought it, came home with it and um, I didn't shoot it because I know at the time if I had started shooting it, I was going to kind of hurt myself for IDPA nationals coming up the next week. <laughs> so I, uh, I left it alone. I kind of like would pick it up every now and then and dry fire it some. I'd be like, Oh man, it's so cool. Um, but I ended up taking it out to Colorado with us when we went to IDPA nationals. And as soon as the match was over, I put my single stack down and I picked up open gun and put my open rig on. And I started dry firing with it. Um, and this practice probably, I guess at about that time I had a month behind it before we actually had race gun this time. Yeah. <laughs> a month, guys. So, so, more weeks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So a little longer. Um, but this gun, for some reason, it's a regular full size open gun and, I don't know what it is about it. It may just be my old taste or some other things put together with it too, but it fits me very well. Um, it's, it's just there. The wand chooses the wizard, Harry. <laughs> I, I don't know that. I don't know anything. Oh Harry my Potter. God. What? What? Yeah. Yeah. Like Harry Potter stuff, like star Wars, all that stuff. I wouldn't, no, so rude for people listening to the video. This is Star Trek. Anyways, yeah. So well, we'll digress. If, if you were talking, <laughs> <laughs> well, if you were talking to uh, our buddy Connor, then he would be on board with you. He could tell you a lot of this stuff. So <laughs> you are the uh, the Nighthawk equivalent of him and T Rex arms. So, <laughs> yep. Exactly. <laughs> Welcome to that analogy. 
<laughs> I'm like, there's only like 10 people on this earth who know what we're talking about. Um, anyways, going back to the open after, after nationals or, or even gearing up for that, like I, I ended up shooting open, barring an open minor gun. It's a lot of fun. So I understand like how addictive the qualities are of shooting open division. Um, so what did you fall in love with? Like, what do you love about shooting open? So I knew from last year, um, whenever I, whenever the last round that I fired last year out of an open gun was at nationals and I didn't touch one since, um, <laughs> since I got this one, but I knew going into it, the things that I remembered, the things that I struggled with and the things that I need to get better at and the things that I should be seeing, but I wasn't seeing, mm-hmm. um, so I just remembered all of that stuff and I instantly began working on, on all of that and trying to make that transition to open with it. And it didn't take long to get all that stuff kind of dialed, uh, dialed in and tuned, wow. but it still, it still wasn't quite there. So even like after race gun this year, I've been kind of trying fire with it more and shooting some more still and kind of working on the finer detail things. But the thing that I really like about open is it's, showing me all of my deficiencies that I have in single stack because it's taking away all the reloads and just some other things in there because um, shooting open division, you have to do everything perfect. There is no room for error. If you bobble a reload, if you goof up a transition, just the slightest bit is going to put you behind the other competitors. So just all of the fine detailed stuff like that is teaching me so much so that's why i'm really attracted to the open <laughs> i love it now uh did you actually get instincts to reload at nationals when you didn't need to like, does your hand actually, <laughs> actually uh knock on knock on wood um i've never done that um so even so shooting open and whenever i borrowed um a buddy's limited gun before and shot uh, an actual limited gun and, uh, and not just my single stack when I show up and shoot limited or open, <laughs> um, or even like if I go and I dabble around with my Glock, um, I've never thrown a reload by accident before, um, in different division because I feel like that's something that's part of your stage planning and your mental prep for the stage that you're about to shoot. You know, if you're, if you go through and you throw a reload when you're not supposed to, or you don't plan for one, then you did something in your stage walkthrough, your memorization, your visualization, your stage planning to make you execute that reload whenever you didn't mean to. So it's there, really their own fault. Yeah. There was a mini, um, I won't name who, but there was like a mini at nationals, mini like speed ish, not speed shoot per se, but just box eight, uh, eight shots. And it was left, right. And then go to the middle. And he did a reload going through the middle. Cause he's used to production. I was like, you did not need that. <laughs> yeah. And it's a common thing to see for a slow cap guys to happen, but I mean, it's, it's something that's avoidable. Yeah. yeah. So like for going back to nationals too, like for high cap, did you, did you actually have a goal or is this more of like a, Hey, I'm going to go shoot a thing. <laughs> it was kind of both. So I, I felt like it was really hard for me to take and put a goal up there, but Mike and some of the other guys were like, Hey, what is everybody's goals for nationals? And I got thinking about it. I'm like, you know what? As little a time as I have with this gun and with this division period, I still don't know anything about it. Mm -hmm. Um, I was like, 
I'm just kind of here because it's to do something different is to learn. Um, but it's like, you know, I feel like that I can absolutely 100% shoot 70% um, of whoever wins a match. And, I'll, and I, I didn't do it exactly, but I hit like 69.67, something percent. Well, you call it. All. So I was, yeah, I was right there at it. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I guess goal achieved, slightly missed. <laughs> oh, I like that. I really do like that. That's neat to see that. And I'm glad people force you to make goals um, because I try to ask people that. I'm like, huh? I'm like, well, you should probably have like a why you're coming and what you want to do here to know if you hit that benchmark or yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Because a lot of people just take, well, like me for so many years and still a little bit, um, just do kind of things sort of mindlessly. And there's a lot of benefit to it um, sometimes. But if you don't know the reason or the purpose as to why you're doing it and you don't have a desired outcome from doing it, that's the thing that really helps drive you. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have a classification in open at all or did you even have time to have that? <laughs> you're shooting <laughs> <laughs> so when, whenever I shot open nationals last year, I was unclassified. I had, um, I think I had two classifications on record. And then whenever we showed up to, uh, open nationals this year, I had four on record. So I was a, I was a class. Um, I think actually, um, one of the ones, one or two, um, of the classifications that I have on file for open um, are with the single stack gun. Of course. But no, you're one of those. And well, you know, yeah, because like people are still worse than you shooting. Oh, God. With the real open well, gun. Well, I, that's, that's one of the things I think is fun sometimes, too. It's like, okay. And I've really did it, too, whenever I was shooting my, uh, my little range officer all the time. It's like, all right how many open gun uh, shooters can I come and hurt their feelings with shooting this $900 minor gun? <laughs> so um, moving forward to, are you sticking with open division or what does that look like? So right now through the rest of my off season, I'm going to still dabble with it. Um, kind of keep shooting it. Um, obviously kind of get ready for the toys for tots match. Remember, or try to uh, make sure I remember how to reload. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I am kind of taking and going back and I'm shooting both or dry firing both at the same time. Um, and then once the actual season starts back up and I start prepping for that, I'll go back to single stack. But as soon as uh, classic nationals is over in 2022, I'm going to be going back to open and okay. bring some more with that. That's awesome. So yeah, looking at um, 2022, like, do you have a map schedule laid out for next year? I have a rough schedule. So I know for sure I'm going to hit Alabama sectional in March, um, area six in April, um, Cook, Tennessee and she's Tennessee state IDPA match um, <clears throat> on April 1st, April Fool's day. Um no, that's that's a really good match. My buddy Prince Sizemore's been putting it on for the last few years, and I finally got to go do it last year. Um, because you're the year of the Ronication uh twenty twenty. Uh it ended up getting rescheduled the same weekend that Area Six was that Mike and I were gonna go down to. So I 
texting my dog like, hey, I, I got to go do this because single stack nationals was coming up. Um, and he understood. It was cool with it. But Brent's a really good guy. puts on a solid match, too. Um, but uh, got the IDPA match. And then probably going to try and hit one more before Classic Nationals. And then Classic Nationals, Kentucky section. Um, and then the one definite thing that I know I'm going to do um, – towards the end of the year, it's going to be IDK Nationals again. Um, I would, I really want to go back and uh, do race gun again, but I can't, I don't think I can get the time off work to go do uh, four days in Colorado. A lot. Yeah. Yeah. Bummer. So for uh, IDPA, you shot, you traveled to Colorado this year uh, for Nationals. So I don't know enough about IDPA, but what division did you compete in at that match? So I competed in the CDP division, custom defensive pistol. Um, so the rules of that division primarily is whatever firearm that you're competing with, whether it be a 1911 or a Glock or SIG, whatever it is, has to be chambered in 45 ACP. It has to meet major power factor. So 165 like USPSA. Um, so yeah, I went there with my Nighthawk and my uh, TRP as my carry gun <laughs> and back up um lord forbid if i break something um and went there and competed in that division so yeah cool um now for for that like did you have a goal for that nationals or <laughs> where were we there <laughs> well i just my goal for that match i mean obviously i wanted to take and i wanted to try and win it um but i knew going into it i had some heavy hitters Going into that, I mean, I had Glenn Shelby and I had Rob Latham too. And I mean, Rob just came off of single stack nationals win again this year, um, too. But I ended up, I was very blessed and uh, ended up on the uh, super squad with everybody. So, so I got to shoot with like, um, with Rob, with Mike Steeklander, Nils, JJ, um, Mandy Botman, a bunch of other people. Um, so I, I got to, battle back and forth with Rob there for those two days just in person that was that was a really cool experience plus I I learned a lot there um besides the fact that Rob was a good fall I knew that already yeah. uh, <laughs> um, uh, he's he's a really good dude outside of shooting too um very funny yeah oh he is absolutely because every time I see him or feel straighter I make a joke about one or the other two <laughs> <laughs> um but, uh, yeah, so I had the goal that I wanted to try and win or finish well, but I knew the odds were going to be very challenging against that. But I ended up um, – I finished third overall in the division, but I won first place master in CDP because um, Rob and Glenn were both distinguished masters, which you can only win at an IDPA national. So it's not like a GM classification, like you can shoot USPSA on classifiers at club match. Mm-hmm. Um, or a performance in a match um, to get a match bump. So, yeah, I mean, I I won the division in my classification, but I still felt kind of short of what I wanted. But right. yeah. all the more to motivate you for next year, right? Yeah, absolutely. So how does, like, moving up in classification work in IDPA lands? So it's, it's really similar to um, USPSA. Um, the skill levels are kind of similar in it. So... You have, starting on the lower end, you have novice, marksman, sharpshooter, expert, master, and distinguished master. Um, so you can 
do like USPSA and you shoot a class a classifier. So um, IDPA has two classifiers now. It used to be just one. Um, so one of the classifiers being the uh, five by five that Bill Wilson came out with in 2017, I think. Um, and then IDPA has also modified their old 90 round classifier to a 72 round classifier now. So essentially the actual classifier is three targets at varying heights and they're all, I think three yards apart and you'll shoot a few different strings of fire um, across three stages, essentially, if you will. Um, and then you'll take and you'll add up and record your times for each string and your points down for each string that you shoot. And you'll add that up at the end. I'll give you your classification. So I, um, cause I, uh, because I think that um, Area 5 was a week before or two weeks before we went out to Colorado to shoot IDPA Nationals. And I was wanting to practice um, a little bit more and actually put my IDPA gear on and uh, kind of get ready and get prepped other than some dry fire. Um, but I didn't get to do that because the only practice that I got uh, was the Monday before we left. I went out and I set up the 72-round classifier and I shot my best run on it that I've ever had. So wow. that was exactly the confidence boost I needed. You mean you actually shoot 72 rounds to get a classification yep. in one go of it? Like there's only two different <laughs> ways to get classified, right? I'm understanding that correctly. Yes, that's correct. So it's either do the 72 round full classifier where you shoot anywhere from five yards to 20 yards or you shoot the uh five by five where you shoot 25 rounds total and four strengths interesting okay Whew. i learned something new today um <laughs> i mean that's 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 wild thinking the difference i guess between competitions really or uh yeah so for for idpa matches like what are some of like the new rule changes actually that you that has happened in idpa recently so the biggest rule change that they had and they don't they sort of come out with rule changes about kind of how uspsa does um but it's a little bit more infrequent maybe um so their latest biggest rule change happened in 2017 because prior to that um the main biggest change or changes that they added was they went from a half second per point down to a full second per point down so point down being how – so USPSA target, you have A zone, C zone, D zone. So with the IDPA target, instead of the 11 by 4 uh, rectangle you have in the A zone and the 2 by 4 credit card in the head, you have a circle that is 8 inches in diameter in the body. You have a 4-inch circle in the head that is a down zero. And then the C zone is going to be 1, and the D zone is going to be a 3. Um, so each point down that you are adds a full second to your score. Um, so whereas the goal in USPSA is to score as many points as possible in the shortest amount of time as possible, IDPA is a little different in that, in that you'd want to not drop as many points as you can in quickest time. Yeah. Now for, for people that aren't familiar, what are like the, like the, what you call it? targets that you're not supposed to shoot at non-threats and like how do you rack up points on those targets so a non-threat is worth five seconds on wow. those 
Okay. Yeah. So they um, they have a few interesting penalties. So uh, the non threat or hit on non threat is a five, and then the uh, if you just shoot a miss on a target period, it's a five. Um, then they also have a um, a procedural error, which is you did something that was against the procedure for the stage, which is three seconds. Um, or you also have a flagrant penalty, as it's called. So that is a, I think it's a 15-second penalty for if you do something that is a competitive advantage, primarily. Like drop your magazine and not retain it. <laughs> well, no, that's just procedural. Um, so, yeah, um, I, I got a, I got one one time. So I've only ever shot two IDK nationals before. Um, first one I shot was in, uh, it may have been 2017 or 2018. Um, yes, it was 2018 because I hadn't t- taken a license class at the time. Um, and I shot ESP, which is enhanced service pistol with my range officer before, um, which was long before I gave it to Keegan to go through and make it a lot nicer. <laughs> um, I, uh, so that match, I got a flagrant penalty because there was a prone stage and I, I earned it. I earned it. Absolutely. Because I totally didn't even think about this rule. So there was a prone stage and they had a piece of carpet laid down. There's brass all over it and there's gravel from CMP mm-hmm. um, that was all up on it too. And I was like, my plan going into it was like, all right, I'm just going to come in hard, hot and heavy, and I'm going to just dive on this piece of carpet. Um, I'm like, I'm probably going to get some carpet burn from it. But if I do well on the stage, it's like my next to last stage. It'll be all right. Um, so I remembered I had some knee pads in my range bag. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I know. I know. I'm a little bit of a limp. Um, but I was like, okay, I'm going to put these knee pads on and I'm going to execute my plan. Well, I go up there, execute my plan. And, um, this, the sweet little redheaded lady, uh, DD, I love Miss DD, um, her family, they're really precious. Um, so <laughs> she comes up to me, uh, a few years after I shoot that stage and says, um, Hey, can you come over here and talk to, uh, her husband, Nikki, is the assistant match director at the time and the match director. Um, so we need to talk to you. I was like, okay. Um, I was like, huh, what is this about? Um, and they said, okay, so we noticed that you use knee pads on this stage, blah, blah, blah. I was like, have you used them for the whole match? I was like, no, I just put them on for the stage because that's the exception of the rule. You could use them, but you have to wear them for the entire match. As if you were prepared in the IDPA situation. Yeah, it's not something you're going to go. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because I wear knee pads when I walk around them. Can still carry here. So I know you're you're joking, but I think that I might have to actually do that one day. <laughs> well, I've, I'm I'm gonna pick at you just a little bit. Uh-huh. We, we we all know how much you fall sometimes, so knee pads might be a good idea. I have them. I just have like <laughs> unlike you, where you're a wimp. I'm like. I just don't want to wear them. I'm embarrassed. I'm going to be the kid that shows <laughs> elbow pads and knee pads. But honestly, I think that if I, I would probably wear them the whole match. Just that. <laughs> wear, a, wear like a bicycle helmet too. Or better yet, wear a, uh, wear a tactical helmet with some nods on it. Oh my God, stop. 
What do you call tactical um, tactical Timmy's in the female version? Um, they don't exist. Tactical. Uh, I'm sure they would. I'll, I'll come up with the name, and I'm sure. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Uh, so for IDPA, like what, you know, how does that help you in USPSA or just in your shooting or concealed carry? Like, you know, what is that teaching you? So it teaches me a lot because you're, you're using different gear than what you would use in USPSA um, and still using different gear from what I would actually carry. Um, but the funny thing about it is um, like an IDPA, I use a next belt that is like the wolf ratcheting belt system um and i use some safari land bag pouches um so those two things i actually use in my part of my everyday carry um so the only thing different is the holster so i have to use a holster that is a normal holster it can't be in an appendix holster right what i'd only use yeah um but the thing with it is i'm still shooting my carry gun or a gun that is exactly set up how I carry because literally all three of these single stack guns I have in front of me I will throw any one of them in a holster right now and carry it yeah because literally the only thing that I ever change out in them is depending on how heavy of a mainspring I have in there I might throw just a slightly heavier, heavier one in there and a heavier recoil spring because you know hotter ammo yeah. um but literally every one of them are that reliable that I can actually go and put my exact competition gun and carry a holster and go carry it. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, there, and I mean, there's nothing that beats that. Um, Cause I mean, you know, if people had enough faith in an open gun to run all the time and there was a good way to conceal one without it being super uncomfortable, people would carry out open guns too. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Does like shooting USBSA affect IDPA shooting and like vice versa as far as like points and speed and like all of that? I do have to slow down a lot for IDPA um, because um, it, I have to stand on the brakes a little bit because if I would go and I would shoot at my normal pace, like I would USBSA, I would shoot a lot of ones or Charlies, which major power factor, major scoring in USBSA, it's fine. You know, a few here and there, it's not going to hurt you a whole lot. Um, IDPA, it can be pretty detrimental. Um, because I remember <laughs> um, this year, I went and shot the uh, the Georgia State IDPA match at Riverbend. Mm-hmm. And um, I had a lot of pressure on me already because I had won the match last year as division champ. And I was trying to do it again. Um, I had had some stuff go around but thankfully the match director was cool with me uh switching the days that i shot um and so i took and i looked at the scores on competitor app night before and i saw i didn't know who the guy was at the time um but he seemed like he put up a pretty solid score um was winning cdp and i was like okay i have to beat that <laughs> so i'm i'm a little bit of the type of person that I like to look at the scores because and USPSA eh, it doesn't really help me a whole lot. IDPA, it's a lot easier to gauge things to me, at least. Because okay. I would on that, the person that wins IDPA, like are they doing percentage on stages like USPSA? Is that the difference? 
So if you look at it in practice score, it still breaks it down in a percentage on there. But ultimately, like with a hit factor in USPSA points provided by time, um, your score in IDPA is going to be the amount of points down plus any penalties that you occur added to your raw time. So essentially, like golf, I guess, lowest time wins or okay. low score wins. Um, I know nothing about golf either. There, so yeah. I don't <laughs> but you're setting a stage where you're looking at how people perform to know the times that you should have to be with the the points and the penalties versus USPSA that could change when Christian rolls in on the weekend and everybody else yeah it doesn't yeah <laughs> right because like well I was I ended up unfortunately shooting on Sunday and I hate shooting on Sundays because I hate laying out church to do it but I I couldn't get around the situation I had at the time um so I Ended up, I went and shot it on Sunday, and I looked at the guy's scores, and four stages into the match, I had a 26-second lead going into it. Um, get to that fifth stage, and I blew it. I um, So there was a stage that had a drop turner on it. There was two appearance and just some other targets out through there. Well, I took – I drew to the activator – steel and your first target actual paper target that you shot was the drop turner so drew i had some goofy malfunction I, apparently the round that was in the gun didn't pass case gauge or something but ended up in my match ammo pile um had a malfunction cleared it real quick shot the steel shot the activator and when i shot the activator the second time it was turning back so rules and scoring if it's more than a bullet diameter hit, it doesn't count. So and then go on throughout the stage, and I shoot two threes in there too. So I not only did I drop six seconds over here, I dropped another five on this one target. So I threw away 11 seconds right there. So I was like, okay, my nice 26-second lead I had just dropped really quick. So I took and – Literally, my whole mindset from there was, all right, quit just going at it and shooting what you can to just kind of shoot your ability, but don't do anything stupid or that you're unsafe about. So conservative, pretty much-ish. Pretty pretty much, yeah. So it didn't work out. You had a goal, and and you set a goal, and then... Well, I said, well, I still won the match. I still won the match. Um, but it was, it was very close. Like I said, gosh, I wish I hadn't. That was a bonehead move <laughs> on my part. But, um, but yeah. Awesome. Um, how does like, like local matches, uh, when you shoot, what do you focus on? That's kind of my question. So when you shoot, whether it's IDP or USPSA, are you testing speed, accuracy? Are you trying to see what your capabilities are? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> Honestly, it it depends because if I'm really working on something at the time and all, which primarily throughout the season I am, um, I'll really focus on what I've been actually trying to improve on and get better at and kind of think about those things, but try and obviously put all of the pieces together to execute the stage, whichever shooting discipline at the IDPA USPSA. Um, But like now in the off season, I'm, I'm still paying attention to that stuff and making a mental note of things and trying to execute those things. But primarily it is just all out right now, 
beat your buddy for bragging rights. Because I mean, we all we all love picking at each other anyway, and that's that's the fun thing about it, and too, and the camaraderie in it. Because I mean, you know, we're all at, at the end of the day, we're all still boys. We still like you know playing games and kind of <laughs> talk smack every now and then. So it's it's fun. Yeah. <laughs> and like where you live, you've got. I don't even know how many ranges do you have around you and how many matches do you shoot every week? You know, I'm, I'm probably going to make a lot of people jealous when I say this. Um, so I can drive anywhere within actually less than two hours. Um, and I can be at that. I know of 12 different ranges and shoot 12 different club matches. Yeah. Yep. I mean, that's famous in Tennessee. Like you got to pick and choose sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Cause like, I mean, I can, I can either go on a fourth Saturday, I can either go to the range up here that's 45 minutes down the road and shoot a club match there if, if it's being held, or I can go drive to Georgia for an hour and a half and go to Riverbend, you know, and that's, I love going to Riverbend um, because around here, the low cap, and even our sight shooters now have kind of disappeared. Everybody's either gone to carry optics or open, yeah. um, which I, I still love trying to race around with them too. Oh yeah. Um, don't, don't get me wrong. Oh yeah, absolutely. Cause I mean, it's fun to race around with people in that division, but I like shooting up here too, because it's all my buddies are up here. Yes. Um, but I love going to river band because I have people like Tyler Turner, there shooting production. I've got, Brent Wiley, this over there shooting single stack. Randy Arrowwood will be there sometimes. Um, and I even like going up to Tennessee shooting Oak Ridge sometimes too because um, you know, I'll talk with Paul sometimes. But, hey, you can go shoot this match. Because um, I like doing that because I can actually drive a little bit farther than a closer match and I can go shoot with the heat that I'm going to see at Nationals that it's going to be in my division. So that's, that's the really cool part of it. Yeah, you've got, you've got a lot of guest rooms up here to stay in, like, you know, with all the people, you know. Uh, I, I really appreciate that because, yeah, I've I've been very blessed over the uh, time that I've been shooting that I've met a lot of really good folks that definitely offered a lot. So. Oh, 100%. Even if you're strangers, you're not. It's, it's crazy. Our community is awesomely crazy. <laughs> hey, we don't know. Absolutely. Come stay in my house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because, like, I've... I've even explained it to people before, you know, um, and it's, it's interesting because like I say, I've grown up in church all my life, um, and everything there, there has never been a more accepting group of people than the church family that you have, because they are literally pretty much your, like your exact blood related family. Um, but literally the closest thing I've ever seen to that is people in the shooting community because i mean and pretty much it's those same group of people because a lot of the people have that same mentality or they have that same raising that same background too yeah so. yeah 100 um i never asked you have you ever shot steel challenge i have i have shot all of two <laughs> steel challenge matches <laughs> okay what division <laughs> those two matches <laughs> so this was back in my glock uh, days Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I uh, I showed up and shot one local club match at uh, Talladega CMP one time back early, early on. Um, and this was, I think this was 2017 still. I shot one club match there and 
didn't touch it again. But the guy that uh, was putting the matches on at the time asked me, hey, would you, uh, won't you come shoot Alabama State uh, Steel Challenge? You can work it or anything else. So I was like, oh, okay, I can work it and not have to pay a match fee for it. And I mean, it's right here at home or close to home. I was like, sure, why not? So I ended up, I go, I shoot, I shoot limited minor Steel Challenge for the Alabama State Steel Challenge that year. And that's the last time I ever shot Steel Challenge. <laughs> mm-hmm. I've, I've been wanting to go back and shoot it in single stack, actually, because obviously, the big thing with um, still challenge is transitions are a huge thing. Yes, absolutely. Um, and still challenge is a way that you can take and really figure out your transitions on that. That was actually what made me push speed with PCC and like it, it tests your eye movement on, on transitions. And of course your, your movement and not overrunning targets, underrunning targets. It's just the, and with dots, especially like in open, you know, you just see white and you start pulling that trigger. Like, you know, I don't know. It, it's an amazing thing when people are like, oh, it's still challenge. That's lame. Yeah, but I learned a lot and there's there's reasons for it, you know. Yeah, and I was I was very much like that whenever I had first started, in that I was like, uh, it's it's really the same 10 stages that you set up and you just basically you drag race every time. Um, but there's a lot more in-depth things to learn from it than that. Um, and that's kind of why I want to go back to it because I think that'd really help me kind of make me a little bit more disciplined. So. Yeah. I mean, look at Grant Kunkel and um, Chris Barrett, like he, they're steel challenge champions and they have dot, both dove in, I think this year to USBSA and do their top 10, top 20, the major match matches and nationals. And I mean, it's phenomenal to see that because they're kiddos, but that's the steel challenge thing that's in their brain that they can transition paper or steel, you know? Absolutely. That is an amazing thing. Um, I had never met Chris, but I got to take him whenever I come and spectated at uh, Carry Optics PCC Nationals, um, since it's like an hour from my house. Um, I came up there and the last day that everybody was, or no, it was that Sunday afternoon, um, I got out of church and headed up there. And I walked around and talked to Grant Punkel a little bit. He is a really good guy. Yeah. He is, man. And that's the thing about it. Um, Cause you know, a lot of the things, and I don't know for certain, but the big thing to me is what somebody's character is and all, um, you know, show me somebody's character and all and that says a lot about them, yep. but man, that's the greatest thing I've seen in the shooting community too, is there are, when you get to know people outside of shooting and all and see who they actually are in their personal lives and just kind of talk to them for a minute, you know, you really see what their character is. Yeah. And learn a lot about them. So that's that's the thing I appreciate most. Absolutely. But yeah, Grant. Grant's definitely one of those guys. He's amazing. He's a really sweet guy, tough worker. The other thing too to, to comment on that um is his mom has done a phenomenal phenomenal job like raising him and she travels and matches with him and she's the support system. You literally have families traveling together. You know, it, it, it's cool to see. Like I wish I had, had that growing up, right? <laughs> oh yeah absolutely because i mean that's the thing i was like my mom is like she is i love i love both my parents don't get me wrong but like i'm i am my mom's child because like we both act very similar and things like that versus my little sister acts like my dad um and all but like me and my mom kind of we think about things the same way and do some of the things very similar so yeah and then too obviously mothers being mothers they do a lot for you throughout your life too I'm really grateful for that. So cute, Brandy. (laughs) 
eh, I'm a ginger. It's eh. crap. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, man. So coming towards the end of this, I want to ask you, do you have like a big dream, whether it's in the competitive shooting world or in the firearms industry or like long term with your life, what you want to do? Honestly, I'm going to keep on with my original goal. And if you clone yourself today, can you kick your clones butt tomorrow? Um, because the thing that I found in that, that sets no limits, and no bounds to anything. You know, you basically you can accomplish anything that you want to with that. Um, and a lot of people may make fun of that, I guess. But I mean, yeah. it is what it is to me. Um, but I mean, I've got some goals that I'd like to accomplish. Obviously, I'd like to get a GM single stack and um, get to where I'm good with open division and do some things in IDPA and single stack and everything else too. Um, and just improve myself all around as a whole. But I feel like at the end of the day, if I set that one big one in making myself better um, and just doing something every day to continue in that, then I'll definitely get to whatever goal I set. Oh, I agree. A um, couple of things that resonated with me, actually, I've read a lot of books in marketing and project management, but if you think about like little impacts over time, little, little droplets, it's the same as the points on the IDPA, one point per stage adds up at the very end of it, right? It's the compound effect. And so like, if you're cloning yourself today and you're saying on that day, oh, I'm done learning and there's nothing else I can learn. Well, that's what you're going to live with for the rest of your entire life. Um, I love that, Brady. Yeah. And you're exactly right in that because there's a lot of people that I've met before that are like, they kind of had that mindset of, well, I feel like I've learned just about all the things I can learn. I've gleaned everything, you know, and, and I can, I can see where you come from with that and that, you know, you take a lot of classes and you feel like you've kind of scooped up on everything that you can. But I feel like unless you are even, you look at the people that are even on top of the game right now, look at Eric Gaffel, look at Ben Stoker, Rob Latham, they are still putting in the work and getting after it all the time because they want to get better than what they are. You have people like that and even professionals in other sports, whatever it may be, um, or just in any profession in life, you know, there's people out there that are like that, that are constantly striving to get better, that are at the top of the game yep. or whatever it may be. Yeah. But one, but one thing you said in that too, um, with that is a lot of the ways that people are successful is you have to have a process to things because I mean, you even like a kind of going back to top competitive athletes and, you know, look at somebody like Max Michelle. I've heard Max talk about before on a podcast, you know, his process that he has and how he kind of just sticks to it and will follow that to a T. And I've, I found myself on the same way. Um, and there's actually, um, there's a couple books that talk about it. So, uh, obviously a lot of people know Lane Basham with winning in mind. Um, great mental book. Um, definitely <laughs> made a lot of things happen for me on the mental game side. Um, but there's another one out there that's called um, Chasing Excellence by Ben Bergeron. It's it's a CrossFit kind of centered book and themed background to it, I guess you'd call it. Yeah. But the thing that it talks about in that is sticking to a process and committing to a process day in, day out, working harder and developing whatever your craft may be, whether it be professionally in business to your day to day career that you have or in whatever sport that you may be in. Yep. Yeah. Yep. 
the worst too is like going in blind of not knowing what to do or not knowing what to practice or, or not whatever. You've got to have a plan and and be process focused with that outcome like in mind, but not outcome focused. Because yeah, a whole bunch of little steps to get to that goal. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing about it because you know if people don't know what to work on and all, I mean, there's all these different materials out there that you can get a hold of. I mean, you can buy because I mean how I got started. Um, well, the first thing I ever did was I took a class with my, like I said, my dear friend and my uh, training partner, um, Matt Sims. I mean, and I'll take a sidestep to this. Matt is definitely by far one of the best shooters I've known. Um, really good guy. I love his family to death too. Um, but he's definitely a good role model for me also. Um, but I took a advanced competition class um with him at one point but i actually took a one-on-one with him whenever i very first started didn't know how to use iron sights or any sights period um and it was funny because he uh <laughs> he asked me that day he said so what are what have you got in mind for uh a class and all because i just told him i wanted to do a one-on-one day with him to learn stuff because i knew nothing and um I said, well, that's really, at the time, I was more in a defensive type mindset, concealed carry. It's like, really, I want to be more kind of defensive mindset. Oh, he's fun. Okay. That day was, to use his words, like drinking water from a fire for fire hose. Um, he dumped so much knowledge on me that day, um, just in everything. And that's the thing about it, because Matt takes, he does some adjunct teaching for the feds too. So I got a lot of good stuff from it um but thing that people don't realize is if you don't know what you need to improve on well take a class with somebody those instructors are very trained and very detailed obviously a good credited instructor obviously um that can (laughs) yeah absolutely um but you know an instructor can tell you you know what some deficiencies are some things you can work on it can show you how to get better or you can do something like that or similar to what I did. Um, Cause after I took the, those couple of classes with Matt, I kept looking around to try and find something else outside of just to experiment with stuff of my own to kind of teach me something. And I picked up Mike Sequinder's uh, com- competitive shooting book. Okay. Um, that That is a really good book too, especially because I like it because for people that were getting started kind of like where I was at the time, it lays everything out and lays out a process that yeah. you can follow. And all you have to do is just follow it and you get the results. Yeah. Um, but there's so many different resources out there that people can use to get better. But the thing that will actually make them get better is commit to it and doing it. Like we said, commit to that process is I'm, I'm going to go back and steal something from Matt again. Um, Matt told me earlier on in that one-on-one day class that I took with him, um, said there are three things that make a, well, a good shooter um, at the time because we use it, left it open for competition, defensive, whichever. Um, good shooters got to have the equipment. They have to have the skill. They have to have the will. Mm. Skill can be learned. Equipment can be bought. The will to practice and get better, you have to have that. People that don't have that will stay exactly where they're at and they will not get better. You have to have that drive to get in there and work on it constantly. 
Love it. Love it. So how did you improve your shooting like at home without firing ammo at all at home? What does dry fire look like for you? And I've seen it like in hotel rooms, right, I'm going to dry fire now, like, it's, like endless. <laughs> yeah. Cause we, we had a gigantic, um, all whatever, five or six of us that are staying in uh, the house at area five, we had a gigantic dry fire montage. Um, it's really awesome. fun. <laughs> it was. Um, Cause so for me, it's changed throughout the year because whenever I got started in competitive shooting, I just got out of high school and I was in college. Um, so my practice routine and schedule would change with my school schedule that I had. And obviously I just, adjust my work schedule for that too. Um, so it literally varied from my early days of just starting, didn't know how to use the sites to, okay, I'm going to learn how to manipulate everything and do that exactly as good as everybody else can to, okay, I'm going to dry fire for 15 minutes. I'm going to focus on these things. I need to get better at these things to a full on. Okay. I'm doing a morning dry fire session for two hours. I'm doing an evening dry fire session for two hours. Um, I, I ran into a little bit of a problem there because um, I'd been using 1911s there pretty exclusive, exclusively. And that's where I, I um, how I messed up the disconnector in my, uh, my range officer actually was from all the dry fire I did from manipulating the slide. I rubbed a flat slide across the top of it um so i mean it's gone from one extreme to the other where now i take and i will dry fire on something that i am weak at that i need to improve on which i'm weak in all areas um i feel like everything needs to be better um but i'll focus on some specific things that i need to improve on and i will work on those until i feel like i can consistently repeat each one of those um and like i say it's different every day what i may work on yeah yeah well you need to so like when people love it oh i do the same thing over and over again i was like oh are you getting the same results yeah oh okay do you think you should change it to get different results (laughs) oh exactly (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah Uh, um you mentioned resources and stuff which i love that um but like as far as like people listening you know you've already said it take classes watch videos, read books, you know, all of these things, get a, get a plan together. And if you don't know how to do a plan, get with someone who knows how or can help you build a plan. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Love it. Um, and then I have a question that might be difficult for you, for both of us really to, to tackle, but right now, you know, with everything going on in the industry, um, how could someone still get into the competitive shooting world, you know, despite the lack of p- components or higher prices of components, you know, what are some things that they could do to save money, borrow, or, you know, what have you? Oh, absolutely. I mean, cause I've, I mean, I've, <laughs> I've offered it to our friend Mike Lang a few times, um, over the last year, whenever he talks about, he wants to go shoot single stack or something or mess around with it. I'm, I'll tell somebody that I know fairly well, or even if it's a new shooter that wants to just come shoot, but will bring like some factory ammo or whatnot. I'll be like, look, I have, I have some guns. I have some equipment you can use here. Take it, come out and shoot. You know, even and if I like you that well, I might give you my HD gold to wear too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, 
Yeah, I mean, there's things like that because if you know somebody that would take and would let you borrow some equipment to get you started, that can help. Um, but if you have equipment already, and that's the biggest misconception with uh, competitive shooting too. People think that, oh, I've got to buy this gun to go out and do it. Well, no, if you have a Glock 19 and that is your carry gun and you don't know what exactly you want to compete with yet, but you're doing it with a goal in mind to just get better at shooting or you want to get in competition or you want to develop yourself better as a concealed carry uh, defensive minded person. Um, go shoot what you have Yep. because that's the biggest thing about it too. Cause there's not that many people in competitive shooting that actually shoot their carry gun. No. Big surprise. Yeah. Um, and then a lot of people too, their carry gun is a very far, um, fallacy from what they actually compete with too because yep. you know like how some people may shoot an open gun or shoot a limited gun and major power factor all the time but they carry an lcp yeah you know yeah, different yeah. yeah you've got a um, carry gun whether you're transitioning or just yearly like so many people the other thing i'll touch on too is like when i go from summer carry to winter carry my my whole gun goes to a larger capacity i need to go back and train because that's a huge huge difference grip trigger everything oh my gosh <laughs> well see and that's the thing with me because like i the smallest gun that i own is a pistol that i own is a ruger lc9s everything else five inch gun teeny tiny yeah yeah and that's the thing like i said earlier all i will carry and i have carried every one of my five inch 1911s i have and I've carried my Glock 34 with a 17 round mag and a 140 millimeter mag on my belt. You're insane, but yeah, <laughs> do that, guys. Maybe, that. <laughs> yeah. I, I won't deny it, but you know, I've yeah. never claimed to be sane. Totally <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, my dad gifted me a Glock 17, and I remember I shot my first match was GSF, and then I shot Steel Challenge, made the pistol team at Florida State. Then I went to USPSA and then I shot in three gun. That gun has literally been through every single type of sport from holster, from dumping it, throwing it, acquiring sites. It's just been fun. You know, run what you have. <laughs> it works. Absolutely. It goes bang. It works. <laughs> absolutely. That's right. That's right. But I mean, other than that, um, absolutely. Like we've talked about already, dry fire. That's the biggest thing. Um, you know, if you're limited on what kind of ammo you can get your hands on or what you can afford, dry fire is the best thing to do um and if you don't want to develop bad habits still then there's definitely some resources out there you can learn from too you can get on youtube and and that's the greatest thing now youtube has helped out so much and has really been the thing that's launched a lot of the younger crowd myself included i use that a lot um i use it to fix uh, stuff to repair stuff to <laughs> what the hell i'm doing <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's it because like youtube is like google now if you need to learn how to do something you don't google it anymore you just youtube it i do uh -huh. <laughs> oh my god but it works <laughs> yeah absolutely right um but uh i mean even now though there's people that will do online video coaching because um, i know steve anderson's a big one that'll do like dry fire coaching i'm yeah. sure jj and some other ones do it too now Travis um, has but, a entire, um like curriculum and yeah, yeah online training and a lot of them have groups now. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And then, I mean, you have online resources too. Like um, there's one that I'm a member or well, two that I'm a member of. Um, so there is um, 
the version of it that I'm in, there's two different ones. There's American Warrior Society that um, Mike Seeklander and Rich Brown uh, head up. And then there is also a side to that. It's American Competitive Shooting uh, Society. So um, I'm a member on the uh, American Warrior Society side. So there is so much online resources that you can take through from that. Um, Mike has got a lot of his competitive type stuff in there, and it paired along very well with his competition book that I read. So, you know, getting to see the actual live stuff associated with that. Um, but then, too, you've got things like Practical Shooting Training Group online that um, Ben Stoger and Juanza Kim does. Um, and then you even got people like Mason Lane, Christian Seiler in there, and some other very skilled, high-level competitors and phenomenal instructors in there dropping some content also. And then, I mean, even Max Michelle, he has his own thing he's doing now too. Um, Yeah, I think even Chris Tilly has something going now, um, him and Steve Anderson. So there's a lot of different resources. Yeah, (laughs) that open level world of opportunity. And COVID changed the way people do business, which I like. I mean, it's pretty cool. Oh, yeah, the Amazon uh, shopping has definitely skyrocketed, I'm sure. <laughs> I want to support local. However, sitting here and delivering two days is really nice. <laughs> oh, man. Well, Brady, it's been fun. Uh, I want to ask you just if you have any other final thoughts that you want to leave listeners with. Um, I would say the biggest thing, if you're thinking about not even competitive shooting, if you're thinking about going and doing something that's going to potentially better you in a career or anything. I'm, I'm all about self-betterment, whether, no matter what it's in, um, don't be afraid to do it, go in and do it. Um, there's a lot of things that hold people back in life is they are just so fearful and can't get over themselves and either be their ego or their pride and say, okay, I need help to get better at this, but I don't want to ask for help because I'm, I'm that way. I'm absolutely that way. I'm stubborn and I want to figure things out for myself too. But at the same time, I, the Lord has blessed me with a little bit of sense to realize that, you know, if there's somebody out there that already knows how to do it, ask them for help. Um, Cause I mean, you know, so never be afraid of that. Like that. There's a tribe out there of us. Um, yeah, <laughs> we got to do it together. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I normally Google and YouTube until I get frustrated. And I'm like, all right, it's, it's time to ask for help. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, any shout outs you want to give to like sponsors or people that support you or, you know, have helped you along the way? Yes, absolutely. Um, so first and foremost, um, that I guess they're my biggest sponsor. Um, I definitely say my fam- my family. Um, my parents have been very supportive of me because, like I say, living at home all through college and all that, there have been several nights where I've been up to like two, three o'clock in the morning, and then roll around and go to school or work a few hours later. Um, where I've stayed up either all night dry firing and driving crazy and <laughs> screaming, ah, I'm go to bed. Uh, or loading ammo yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or loading ammo. Um, and they've been, they've been very, uh, very considerate and very kind and, uh, you know, being accepting of all that stuff. And then they're also encouraging too. Um, but definitely, um, along those lines too, um, I definitely give a shout out to, um, 
some of my sponsors. So um, Georgia Brass, for one. So they are in Georgia, like I said. <laughs> Let's see what I did there. Um, well, people these days, they need they need that information. <laughs> uh, rem- remind me in just a second, and I can tag a funny story onto that that relates to that. Um, <laughs> um, so they supply clean, fresh, uh, resized, once fired, deep primed brass for whatever caliber you can think of. Um, Georgia, uh, or George, <laughs> uh, Dan Humphreys and Clint Bowen, um, are in charge of that. And they do a really good job with both supporting the shooting community and they're just really good guys in general too. Um, so really thankful for them. Um, ready tactical. So I've been using is Chris Stewart, uh, is one that owns it. Um, so I use his holster, um, and all whenever I compete in IDPA or USPSA. Um, then, uh, these other ones aren't my sponsors necessarily, um, but it's products that I use and I believe in. Um, obviously, not all. Thank you for um, being, for first off, most importantly, your morals and what you stand for and believe in. That's, like I say, that's the biggest, most important thing. Stick with that and you'll never go wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, thank you for making a high end quality 1911 that I can put my trust in. Um, and Hunter's HD Gold. So, a side note on Hunter's HD Gold. So what I do for a living is I'm a um, health and safety professional in the occupational field. Um, so whenever Hunter's HD Gold first came out, I was really intrigued in those. But at the same time, you know, I was like, whoa, the cost of them. And I didn't really understand the benefit of them at the time. But looking at them from a safety professional's eyes, I saw it and I was like, okay, these meet all of the ANSI standards that we have to have in the workplace for eye protection. And you can get them in whatever frame you want. And they have all the benefits of transition lenses, UV protection, you name it and all everything, but polarization. Um, And they're just great for every application. Um, and then, you know, whenever I actually got a pair and started using them, they were just a total game changer. Yeah. So definitely, Brian Conley, you you hit it out of the park. Awesome. <laughs> and all the knees gummy bears. <laughs> you knew that was coming. You no, had to. actually, like, I, was, I forgot, and now I remembered. I'm like, well, that makes sense. <laughs> so um, I'll, I'll – oh, and um, – really important one also um competitive shooting solutions um so keegan singleton has started in the last few years doing his gunsmithing um business competitive shooting solutions keegan thankfully i thank the lord for him um so the range that i normally practice at is literally shares a property line with where he lives (laughs) <laughs> so there have been many a time that I have broken something and he's going to hysterically laugh whenever I tell some of these. Um, and here's this. I have literally broken major parts in my gun the week of a big sanction match coming up. And I will call him. I'll be like, hey, I've messed something up. I don't know what's wrong. <laughs> and I'll just go over there and he'll fix it for me thankfully um and he's been really good at taking care of me with that stuff um 
and done some a lot of good work for me. And he's actually, um, I'll have it here and show it. So this is my old minor gun that he went through and redid and checkered the uh, front strap on it and re-seracoded it and uh, put some different firing controls in it. And it is just super slick. Um, it is a sweet gun. But uh, he's actually building me a uh, limited gun right now, too. So uh, I I definitely seen a lot of the work that he's put out and um, also just the quality guy that he is, too. Um, he's a very, very good person. Um, so definitely, you know, if you need some gun work done, whether it be to a hunting rifle or a shotgun or um, a everyday carry pistol or a race gun, yeah, even you know, single stack guns or race guns too. Um, <laughs> um, you know, give him a call, and he definitely can fix you up for what you need. Love it. So, what's the uh, the brass story? The Georgia. <laughs> so I um, I don't think Clint would mind me telling this because uh, it's a, it's a funny story. Um, so one year they were going to shoot the Tennessee State IDK match that they held at Forsa at the time in Oak Ridge. So uh, it used to be uh, called the Secret City IDPA Championship, IDPA match, something like that. Um, and obviously anybody knows the history of Secret City being where they did a lot of the nuclear testing and all of that. <laughs> so, you know, there's a little bit of a running joke about people that live around there, radioactivity, you know, things along those lines. But uh, I know one time they went to a Walmart there the night before the match and they used to have uh, shirts and stuff like, like travel shirts that said, you know, Georgia guns and ammo, Georgia brass on them. And uh, they walked up to the little girl that was working at the register at Walmart to check out. <laughs> and uh, just so plainly, so calmly, she just said, Georgia guns and ammo, where is that? And Clint, without missing a lick says Louisiana, Texas. <laughs> and she was like, Whoa, that is so cool. I've never heard of that place. Where is it at? And like, it was just like this long drawn out thing. It was so funny. And Clint, Clint is that kind of good guy that he can, he is just hilarious. I love, I love seeing him uh, around places. Um, but yeah, he, he did a really, <laughs> he did a really fun one with that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Sorry. That is hilarious. I love when uh, people just, God, they're oblivious to things. I'm like, yep, that, that's how we're going to go with it. And they believe it. Did he just keep it going? Like he never told her, right? Oh, no, he never told her. Not that I know of, at least. Um, but yeah, Clint's, Clint's one of those guys that has a great sense of humor and he can tell a really good story too. Um, and then, like I said, on top of that too, him and Dan are both really good guys. So not only can you get some awesome brass to reload with, but you can also get some good jokes. But aside from that too, I almost forgot. You need good projectiles to go into that brass. And I use... Um, brass monkey jason pratt i've used i've used blue bullets before i've used other different types of coated bullets and jacketed bullets too um there's there's good people out there in the industry and stuff no matter what it is um but jason's a really good guy um i've talked to him a lot and stuff and he's not one of my sponsors or anything but i 
I believe and I use his products because Paul and some others have talked a lot of good things about him too. But I've started using his projectiles over the last year and I've even shot some of them uh, through my open gun and no problems with leading or anything like that either. Um, But those are some really good projectiles to use um, if you're looking for a good bullet to use and they are they're accurate as anything else there's no tumbling or anything else like you'll see with some other big thing uh bullet manufacturers love it that's awesome well uh okay how can people follow you online or on social media and ask any questions (laughs) (laughs) well i'll answer any questions you have to ask but there's probably not any good questions that uh you can think to ask me (laughs) um so i have instagram and facebook um so instagram is brady v harden i yep. think yep, v I'll is in victor uh-huh. yeah um h-a-r-d-i-n um so you can find me on instagram there and then facebook um i just have a standard facebook page up it's just my name um you can shoot me a message or you know anything like that or if you see me at a match or anything uh or see i'm gonna be the one squat up with me or just come over and chit chat I'll talk to anybody. <laughs> yep, I enjoy your company for sure. Love shooting with you. And uh, yeah, thanks for everything you do. Thanks for coming on the podcast. I'm glad you came. Well, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm, you're very, taking a very bold risk in having me on. <laughs> you have an ongoing joke. They're like, you must be uh, at the bottom of the barrel, you know, wanting to interview me. But, but it goes back to, and you've already said it that there is something that someone can learn from someone. I've already learned something. I'm sure people listening have already learned something. So you are wrong, sir. Well, they probably learned they never need to listen to a ginger from Alabama. Again. <laughs> <laughs> the, the words roll tight should never come out of your mouth. That's what we've learned. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe not. Um, but I don't even care about sports nowadays. Um, but no, seriously, though, thank you for having me on. I've really enjoyed it. And like I say, it's Always good to see you and always good to have your company too. Heck yeah. Ready for 2022. So uh, for you guys listening, definitely see you on the circuit next year. Um, hit up Brady, especially if you enjoy that single stack, stack reloading line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Stay tuned for the next episode. Thanks guys. Thanks for listening to the Reticle Up podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. Follow along on social media at Reticle Up or 3 Gun Kenzie.